Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of season 3 of Ignite the Flame Audio. So glad you could join us today. If you're new here, the good thing about season 3 is that it has no continuity with the two prior seasons. So if you're new to this particular season, don't worry, you don't have to have gone through the two prior seasons to understand this season because the book that's being read to you is not chronologically linked to the two previous books. Of course, if you go through the course of this particular season and you like what you hear, I would encourage you to go back, check out season one and then season two because those two books are chronologically linked and hopefully you'll enjoy them as much as you enjoy this season. For those of you who are regulars here, once again, welcome to you. By this point, you know how an episode is broken down. We read a chapter to you from the book, in this case being Abattoir Black. We then go into a section known as The Origin of Ideas, where we discuss the ideas behind the chapter. Then we go into the tips of the trade, which is giving tips to those of you who are aspiring to be authors or those of you who are authors yourselves, just looking for that little bit extra. Of course, this season comes with a disclaimer, as we've mentioned all the way through in previous episodes. Anybody under the age of 12, I would highly advise you, this is not the season for you because this particular season, this particular book contains references to graphic descriptions and depictions that I don't feel are age appropriate to anyone under the age of 12. So I would highly advise you, if you are under the age of 12, not to listen to this particular season. If you are more of a mature listener above the age of 12 and you are in the vicinity or you have someone around you that is below that age range, I would encourage you to do the mature thing. Pop your headphones in or encourage them to leave the room. Encourage them to get out of earshot so that they're not subject to the contents of this season, of this book, and we can avoid people having nightmares or being frightened, which obviously is not our intentions. We don't want that. We want to preserve their innocence as long as possible, and we don't want them being subject to content which is not age-appropriate. So I advise you, I urge you, do the mature thing, do the responsible thing, just encourage them to leave the room, encourage them to get out of earshot or pop your headphones in, just make sure that we keep them safe and that they're not subject to the content that is otherwise inappropriate for them. Okay, that about sums it up, so let's go ahead and get into it. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. Abattoir Black Chapter 4 Trapped with his newly appointed allies, Officer Raymond was pulled to his feet and welcomed into the group as a collective effort, but a part of him wondered whether it was all just a hoax to silence him. Whatever the case, they would have to work together if they were to make it out of farmland alive, for a killer had struck, and it was only a matter of time before another life was claimed. Well, here is the plan. All of you will take up positions around the house in the centre of farmland, and report anything you see or hear to me. Anything strange, like animals disappearing, for instance. Now I know what you're thinking, but I saw a herd of cattle in that paddock, followed by a whistle, and then you all showed up, so I'm sure that you can grant me some skepticism. It's all just too perfect for my liking. Meanwhile, I will continue to search and attempt to find out where those cattle came from, as it may just hold the key to this investigation, said Raymond. Officer Raymond? Billy Ottoman inquired. Yes, Billy. Raymond responded. Have you seen Tucker? 
we were all looking for him when we found you? Billy asked. No, Billy, I'm afraid I haven't. But don't worry, I will find him. You stay here and keep an eye on that house, and tell me if anything changes. Officer Raymond ran toward the paddock, with intensity in his eyes, for a child had gone missing yet again, and this time it had the entire town fearful, which, even to him, appeared unnatural. Leaping over the fence, he slipped in the blood-coloured clay, and pulled his feet from its vice-like grip, squelching and slushing as he went, wallowing like a pig. He wrestled with the clay covering his lower body, while its vile contents almost covering his body. Officer Raymond began to walk towards the end of the paddock, following the footprints until they disappeared. Over gravel and clay, through field and stone, he followed them, unrelenting in his search for young Tucker. Tucker! Tucker Morrison! he shouted, trying to reach him through the thick walls of timber and steel, praying for a response that unfortunately would never come. Coming upon a smell of rancid flesh, Officer Raymond was drawn toward the barn, with blood now appearing on the hoof prints of the cattle, perhaps an injured person. But wait, now all the prints were lined with blood, and scuff marks begin to show themselves, leading toward the barn's rear door, edging closer and closer. The splintered wooden walls beckoned, and Officer Raymond was compelled to open it before screaming at the top of his lungs, alerting all to his presence. Tucker! The noise stopped, and his voice gave out before his jaws could close. He was shocked at the surreal sight that greeted him. The rest of the group raced to meet him, shocked and dismayed at the sight which they now beheld. Tucker Morrison's body was barely recognizable. Parts of his face and shoulder, leading to an arm, were all that remained. The rest had been quartered and torn away. The blood trail led towards the front of the barn, following yet more prints. Now, no longer lined with crimson, Officer Raymond came to a very disturbing conclusion. They carried his body. What? Mildred cried. The cattle. That was the whistle. To bring him into the barn. So this sick and twisted human being could kill him with ease. Raymond hypothesized. Oh my god! Tucker! No! No! Eustace embraced Mildred and attempted to comfort her on this horrific occasion, trying to hide her from the ghastly sight of what remained of her son. Eustace could only look on and ask, What kind of monster would do this, officer? I don't know, Mr. Morrison, but if we don't find out soon, we may all share dear Tucker's fate. Raymond replied. A look of horror and shock filled them all. As they glanced at one another, paranoia began to spread, like wildfire, with each of them pointing accusingly at others. But before it could escalate and get out of hand, Raymond said, Calm down, everyone. Now we were all here, weren't we? So let us fan out and find the rest of... Tucker... Perhaps that will lead us to who is doing this, Raymond suggested. Officer, do you know what you are asking? Mr. Morrison asked. Yes, Mr. Morrison, I'm asking you to find your son's killer. Something I would imagine would be first on your mind. And this time, don't go anywhere alone. If you have weapons, use them. We are dealing with a different kind of killer here. One who delights in brutality and decapitating his victims. So caution is a must. 
As Officer Raymond draws his weapon from his holster, he clicks a bullet into the chamber and states, Let's go find this murdering son of a monster and end this. As he rallied the remaining people to his side, they all remained close together as none of them possessed any weapons, other than that which nature had intended, all except one who had yet to arrive. Hello there, Officer Raymond. My God, you were right. Sorry for doubting you. I just pulled up in the car and I noticed that yours was still here. I must admit I thought it was all a hoax, but now, with this, is that Tucker? Officer Chaplin inquired. It is, Officer Chaplin, and it's not the only killing that you should know about, Raymond informed him. My constable, Chaplin confirmed. Yes. How did you know? Raymond asked. I thought that he wouldn't do it. I convinced him not to. But he has been playing dice with his life for years now. And I guess it finally caught up with him. Chaplin said. Are you suggesting that your constable committed suicide? By plunging himself onto a meat hook? And raising himself up above the ground sixteen feet to hang by his eye socket until dead? After carving up his face beyond recognition? Raymond was horrified. What? Chaplin replied, shocked. That is how we found him, Officer Chaplin. Right up there. Seems that this barn is the place to kill for this murderer. It must hold some sort of psychological connection for the killer. Raymond theorized. Psychotic connection is more like it, Officer Chaplin. You mean to tell me that two people have been killed in only a few days? Chaplin asked. Yes, and if you had aided me sooner, this might have been prevented. Raymond complained, staring into Officer Chaplin's eyes. He cowered back into a seated position, on the floor of the barn, just moments away from Tucker's lacerated corpse. My God, I didn't know. I swear it. I thought that you were another drifter, looking to make a name for yourself. I, I didn't think... Chaplin began to explain. No, you didn't think. And it is because of your lack of thought that two people are now dead, Raymond accused. I, I didn't know. I swear I didn't know. Chaplin defended himself. Save your breath, Chaplin. We don't need your help. With all due respect, you've already cost us the lives of two people. Pushing past Officer Chaplin, Officer Raymond forged on to the front following the trail carved in the floor for him, only to open the gates and to be blinded by the midday sun glaring straight through onto his retina. Shielding his face from view, with his arm held up high, he continued, determined more now than ever to resolve this case, for now a revelation had come to light, and perhaps the seriousness of the situation would finally be established. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm saying sorry to all of you. I... I didn't know, Chaplin mumbled. Ah! Chaplin screamed as Eustace struck the officer on the jaw and laid him beside Tucker's body. All that he can muster up to say is, We thought you were one of us, Officer Chaplin. Dissipating the group and sending them their separate ways, Officer Raymond attempted to achieve that which a parent should never be asked to do, to recover the remnants of their child's body, much like war had forced so many to do before them. And for what? Peace? What peace? 
Officer Raymond continued to slide across the surface of clay and gravel, losing his footing more and more, with every step forward deterred at every turn. But convinced it was the right direction, the trail began to break with individual trackways now splintering into different directions, all convening on a similar structure, a beast of metal and serrated iron, left for years in disrepair, a symbol of atrocity bearing the name on its side, Wraith's Abattoir. It was covered in rust stains and the lingering smell of death. A thick cloud of flies swarmed across its roof like smoke from a chimney, with the prospect of fresh flesh. The flies begin to plague and bite Officer Raymond, their mouthparts bored into his neck and face as he attempted to brush them off. A rash appeared with a weeping yellow ooze, for those carrying infection had spread it faster than gas used in the trenches. Officer Raymond was driven away by the wall of marauding flies, and he attempted to roll in the clay, trying to prevent further blood loss. Suddenly, he was alerted to a large crash, followed by a bang. A pillar of black smoke funneled up from behind the barn, heading toward the woods, then fed by another explosion and a second column of smoke, joining its mutated mass of darkness and ash. Officer Raymond ran to the barn and passed the open gate, to see his vehicle in flames, alongside Officer Chaplin's, engulfed in fire and smouldering at several hundreds of degrees, reducing a once sound structure to no more than molten metal in moments. Once again, Officer Raymond had been lured away from safety, and had fallen into the clutches of this master manipulator, but this was the last time. Raymond drew his weapon, and moved slowly towards the burning wreckage of his car. As he edged closer, he saw the body of the officer lying motionless beside it, barely escaping its explosive reach. With fire-torn clothing and smouldering back, it was clear that this was no accident and that foul play was definitely involved. As Officer Raymond tried to revive the officer, he saw a container filled with fuel lying beside him. His worry turned to rage and aggression. Clutching Chaplin by the scruff of the neck, Raymond then released the officer and examined the container hoping once again to gain the upper hand on the killer, but, as before, not a single fingerprint was left, a fact which sends Raymond over the edge. As he began to unleash fury upon the officer, lifting him up and punching him repeatedly, Officer Chaplin woke up in the midst of the beating. His nose was already fractured, and he began to plead for his life. Stop, Officer Raymond! Please, I did not do this! I swear! Chaplin cried. Every time something goes wrong, you are its architect. So unless you can prove otherwise, this is all your fault, Raymond blindly stated. Please, stop. I can explain if only you will let me, <laughs> said Chaplin, as he attempted to shield his nose from further breakage, facing the ground so as to hide from Officer Raymond's frustration. I'm listening, officer. Start to talk, Raymond threatened. <laughs> I was about to leave, when someone hit me from behind. My head bounced off the bonnet, and I split my lip. I, I think, Chaplin explained. You think? Raymond shouted, raising his fist again. Yes, I, I did. I, I split my lip. Chaplin covered his face, with hands wide open and trembling, in an attempt to prevent further physical abuse. I can't remember the rest. Until you started beating me to a bloody pulp for no reason, Chaplin complained. 
For good reason. Don't you see? The container is right beside you. You've destroyed our only means of escape. To kill us in some sick game of yours. Raymond lectured. Listen to yourself. Farmland has gotten to you. And you haven't even drunk in the water yet. Raymond asked. What was that? What did you say? Never mind. You would only hurt me if I told you. Said Chaplin. Officer Raymond falls into a daze of subconsciousness. And Officer Raymond is left to ponder the revelation which he had been told. So many questions raced through his mind and all centered around one thing. Farmland. Who was responsible? Why were they doing this? How was Chaplin involved? But now it had become apparent that this case was no longer their top priority. But trying to survive Farmland and its resident killer was. Officer Raymond had become desperate, looking at his knuckles as they bled, and facing fear rather than only injustice. He thought, you have one moment to help in this investigation. For now, we are isolated from the rest of civilization, and it's only you and me as guardians. To uphold the law. Are you with me? asked Officer Raymond. As he pulled Officer Chaplin to his feet, Chaplin almost expected to be struck once more, but this time Officer Raymond pinned his badge onto Chaplin's chest, saying, You're in charge now. Lead, and we will follow. Or else hand it back to me, and walk away. And if you return, I will end this fight. Raymond warned. You have made that perfectly clear, officer, said Chaplin, while massaging his lower jaw with the back of his hand, the mark of molten metal still staining his face. All right, Officer Raymond, let's play this game by your rules. Just know that as soon as your back is turned, I will not think twice about evening up the score. I hoped that you would say that, said Officer Raymond. Closing in on Officer Chaplin's face, eye to eye and staring up close at Chaplin's face. After you, he said to Officer Chaplin. They began making their way toward the barn under close inspection. The residents gathered in disappointment, violently thronging the officer as Officer Raymond pushed Chaplin forward. Almost a role reversal. Interesting. Why did you spare him? Log him up and send him away, were the comments from the residents shouting at Officer Raymond. To Chaplin's amazement, Raymond replied, Whether you like him or not is not important. What is important is that we stick together. In order to survive, we must not yield to this killer's game, or else there will be no one left to warn others about farmland. Now the time for rebellion had come and gone. The residents all turned away and continued journeying in separate directions. Even families were now split up, seeing the crumbling of the justice they had once trusted to protect them. Officer Raymond glanced at the residents and shook his head. Despite the revolt, one person stood alone and ready to follow him. Young Samson, loyal to the end. Sir, regardless of what I might think, you're right. If we are to survive this, we need to work together and resist cabin fever creeping in. How right you are, Samson. You will survive this. You have my word on that. Raymond said, protectively. I know, sir. I will survive. I know it. Full of faith, they both continued towards the rear of the barn, trying to return to the abattoir to continue the investigation. Once again, there was a distraction, as all the tracks had been raked over. The evidence had been obliterated very quickly, except for one remaining track. Yet this one was different. It was from a cloven hoof, such as a sheep or a pig, perhaps. What animals lived here, Officer Chaplin? Raymond inquired. All sorts, Officer Raymond. Cattle, sheep... Pigs, 
chickens, horses, goats, and even a dog at one time. Chaplin replied, Well, at least we know what lived here. Someone is still farming and obviously doesn't want us to find out what they're doing. How much is this land worth, officer? Raymond asked. Very little, officer Raymond. It is a derelict farm, so money would not be the cause. I can't find a logical explanation for this. Who could? Raymond replied, We have to try. There is always a reason behind murder. It can't be due to pleasure alone, for that would be... Raymond paused. Inhuman. Young Samson reacted with a stare that surpassed time and immortal reality, journeying into the heavens themselves. When Elizabeth Raines was killed, Samson, what exactly did you see? Raymond asked. How do you mean, sir? Samson whispered. Were the animals doing anything around her? Feeding, perhaps, Raymond suggested. Are you deranged, Officer Raymond? Why would animals consume humans? Officer Chaplin replied in disbelief at such a notion. So you would rather believe that the killer ate Tucker's missing cadaver? How could that be any worse? Raymond argued. They were gathered around her, making noises, but not of distress. Noises of? I don't know, Samson recalled, as though they had seen it before. Raymond urged. Unsettling, isn't it? Samson admitted. Indeed, but nature has been known to change the behavior of creatures, even animals. Raymond proclaimed. They weren't eating her, just staring, Samson responded. I understand. I'm clutching at straws. The killer is responsible. Of that I'm sure. I have to explore all explanations, including those which could never happen, Raymond said. Utterly ridiculous, Officer Chaplin responded, causing Officer Raymond to bristle up and look like he was about to unleash his rage again. Sensing this, Officer Chaplin silences himself and moved his hand toward his weapon, preparing to defend himself once more. Well, this is it, said Raymond. The point where the tracks stopped before. Do you suppose there's a way inside? The door should be open, but it appears to have been welded shut. Young Samson pointed towards the layer of smoldering metal on the right-hand side, with jagged edges and serrations of rusted iron. Perhaps there's an upper entrance, like a grain shaft or something similar, Officer Chaplin added. With a hint of defiance in his words, but fearing rejection as a stupid idea. You may be on to something. Young Samson, see if you can find any tools that can get this door open from that shed we found earlier. Well, that you found earlier, Raymond ordered. Yes, sir. As Samson and the officer exchanged looks, Chaplin remarked, Always disappearing, that one. Samson faded again into the distance. Now get over here and assist me with this door. They attempted to force the door open, it began to rattle and creak. Suddenly, a hideous thump sounded, knocking them both to the ground. Officer Raymond stood up in astonishment at the sounds of animals, in distress, and began to edge closer to the door. A gap now appeared in its top corner, to the right, severing the weld with some force. A pool of blood collected at the base and leaked onto Raymond's boots, implying that an animal had injured itself trying to escape. The gap was dark, giving no hint of what was hidden behind it. Curiosity drew Raymond closer, and closer to the entrance. He neared the corner in unparalleled silence, darkness folding around him. His head disappeared from sight. Ah! Officer Raymond flinched as he cut his hands on the jagged iron edges, bleeding from his fingers. Suddenly, there was a glimmer of motion, and a shape appeared, facing towards him. It appeared to be the outline of a cow, but different, more plump than usual, almost as if it had recently 
fed. An eye appeared and the slightest glimpse of a face. Officer Raymond was forced to fall onto the ground, knocking his head upon a rock, rendering him unconscious in a pool of his own blood. After a few moments he began to stir, with Officer Chaplin dragging him towards the barn. What are, what are you doing? Let go of me! Officer Chaplin dropped him onto the floor, answering, Saving you! Your fall enraged the animals in there. It was almost as if they thrived on your pain, knocking against the door, and that pool growing ever larger. Raymond said, I saw, I saw something in there. It looked like a face, but I, I didn't recognize it. You have hit your head severely. We need to get you to a doctor, said Chaplin. Do you think that is what caused them to act the way they did? Raymond asked. What? Chaplin queried. The blood. Perhaps it caused some sort of panic, Raymond suggested. I don't know, officer, but I'm not going back there to find out, said Chaplin. You will go where I tell you, and if you refuse... Reaching for his weapon, Raymond realized that it had been unsheathed and was now in Officer Chaplin's possession. Now you listen to me, officer. I'm setting new rules, and I say we are leaving before anything else happens. Agreed? Chaplin demanded. You can go, but I have a case to solve. Now hand me my weapon, or I will take it from you. Raymond warned. Try it, said Chaplin. Officer Raymond tackled Officer Chaplin to the ground, surprising him, hampered as he was by his lack of size. Chaplin relinquished the weapon as it fired. The residents appeared, trying to aid Officer Raymond, kicking and beating Officer Chaplin until he released Raymond. Let him alone, said Raymond. This solves nothing. Officer, what happened to your head? Clive asked. It's nothing. Just a cut is all. Raymond shrugged. A large price for a cut. Come on. We need to get you to a doctor, Daphne murmured. I'm fine. Just let me sit for a while. I feel dizzy. Raymond answered. Of course, officer. Tell us what happened in there. Billy asked. Where? We were all watching and knew that abattoir was trouble the moment we set eyes on it. Clive added. How long have you known of it? Raymond asked. It has been here as long as the farmhouse, officer. Daphne recalls. Animals right next to their place of slaughter? Raymond queries. Who are you, some lover of animals? It is true, officer. Not a vision, I assure you. Clive reminds him. Yes, I understand. I simply thought that perhaps the owners would have sent them away to be killed rather than handle that themselves. Raymond cried incredulously. The war made monsters of us all. Officer, and in farming, you don't have room for a heart. When you are providing for the front lines, demand overtakes their lifespan, Daphne suggested. Perhaps that is why the killer finds it so easy. Once you've killed before, Raymond confirms. Perhaps, Eustace Morrison answers. Separate from the rest, with tears in his eyes for his lost son, and his still missing remaining family member. Sir, sir, come quick! You need to see this! Quick! Samson screams, covered in vomit, from witnessing something a child should never have to see. Another body had been found and no one had even noticed. Now the fate of farmland was becoming clearer. Even the closest families were drifting apart, without even noticing anything, thus enabling the killer to isolate and kill them, much as it is in nature. Oh my God, where is Andrew? Daphne Ottoman screams in worry. Now reduced to a panic attack, frantically breathing fast and falling to the ground in exhaustion. Don't worry, Daphne. We will find Andrew. Officer Chaplin assures her, much to her displeasure. 
Daphne is too distressed to reply. They gather themselves together and run toward the barn, from where young Samson had returned. Show me where. Don't worry. I think I can see. Raymond confirmed. My God, Daphne, no! Clive warned. Oh my God! <laughs> Daphne burst into hysterics, weeping and screaming for her husband, who now hangs on the wall, pinned with various nails and with blades protruding from his cadaver, and a blood trail pouring down his torso, to be collected in a barrel underneath it. What the hell could have done this to a man? Clive exclaimed. It isn't human, I know that, but horrific, crafted from Hades, and sent as a plague upon this earth. Samson cries. Officer Raymond watches in horror as the blood seeps from the barrel's top, overflowing down its southern side, only to pool in a mass of letters that are carved into the wooden floor. The message sent fear and terror through the residents' hearts as they gathered around this gift, left for them by a wraith of death. The blood shows the killer's intentions, but to what purpose? Chaplin asked. Officer Raymond witnessed the revealing of the words, Your blood belongs to me. And welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where we discuss the origin of the ideas in the chapter that's just been read to you and break them down. So getting started off, we see that during the course of this chapter, there's a distinct role reversal, especially with the relationship between the residents and Officer Raymond. In the beginning of this book, we've seen that they were very standoffish. And now in this chapter, it almost seems like for those who have been unwilling to join in the investigation, they're now coming on board. They're now turning their attention toward the investigation because they realize that their way of life is now placed under threat because of the main antagonist of this story. They see it as more of a survival aspect of the story to come into alignment with Officer Raymond. And they see in him more of a protector as we go through the course of this chapter than even their own resident police officer, Officer Chaplin. It sort of follows along the principle, almost the enemy of my enemy is my friend, which is a reoccurring theme we see in many novels as well as other forms of media. The second point is we see an even larger increase in tensions, but this time it's between the residents and Officer Chaplin, as opposed to the residents and Officer Raymond. But we also see an increase in tensions between Officer Raymond and Officer Chaplin, to the point where it escalates into rage and we even have a scene during the course of this chapter where Officer Raymond and Officer Chaplin engage in a fight and it's sort of like the ultimate culmination, if you will, of those emotions boiling and bubbling over to the point where they can't control themselves anymore. That this tension has just been building throughout the entire story and this is where it comes to its violent head, if you will. The third point is this distinct use of isolation. Now, we've discussed this in previous episodes where if you're wishing to isolate your story from the rest of the world, it pays to have either an unforgiving environment or something that keeps the characters isolated within that particular area. If you want to restrict the areas in which your story is going to focus, it helps to have some sort of isolation element, especially when you're dealing with the thriller or horror genre. And in this case, what we've done is we've taken away the vehicles. So throughout the course of this chapter, we see that about halfway through, both vehicles are destroyed in a blatant act of arson. And we see that the can is left behind next to the unconscious body of Officer Chaplin. Officer Raymond then flies into a rage as a result, blaming Officer Chaplin. 
And then he explains, it wasn't me. Someone knocked me out from behind and they've obviously set fire to the cars and destroyed them. But the reason that Raymond flies into such a tantrum is because these vehicles were their only way to get back to the city. Otherwise, it would take them the best part of an hour just to walk there, which is a considerable length of time considering how rampant this antagonist is and the amount of bodies that are now chalking up on their kill list. And this is just another way that we use that isolation element to restrict those characters to this specific area and to increase the tension, to increase the paranoia, to increase suspicions between them without necessarily allowing them to escape from said area, which is a reoccurring theme that we see throughout other novels or even films of the same genres. The fourth point is we touch upon the main theme behind Abattoir Black, and that's the subject of farming itself. Now, what we try to do throughout the course of our stories is we always try to raise awareness to things that we feel need more attention or discussion. And in this case, farming is one of those subjects. It can either be black or white, or it can be a gray area. I prefer to have an open discussion within the course of our novel, and then we allow you as the reader or you as the listener to make up your decision. Obviously, your opinion is your opinion, and you're entitled to that. That is your right. Our job, what we like to do through the course of our stories, is raise these points, present arguments for either side or for all viewpoints, and allow you to make your own decision. And in this case, we discuss farming. So toward the end of the chapter, we can see that Officer Raymond sort of disapproves of the practice of farming, like the animals being born and bred right next to their place of slaughter. He sort of sees it as an inhumane practice. And the residents turn around and they defend their way of life. They turn around and they say, well, in farming, you can't afford to have a heart. You know, if you're supplying for the front lines, you need to be thinking about that. You can't be an animal lover. You know, there's a part where Clive turns around and he even questions Raymond. He turns around and he says, what are you, some kind of animal lover? And this is the difference. It's that age-old argument where you have demand versus humane treatment. It's exactly the same practice as we see today between ordinary farming practices, free-range, battery farming, etc. It's an ongoing discussion. It's an ongoing viewpoint that I feel requires more attention, especially in our current situation that I feel needed to be discussed and that's particularly why we've sort of gone for more of a horror vibe for this story as well because I feel like when you discuss it in a passive way like if you discussed it in a thriller or in any other genre it doesn't really get that attention it's not so in your face about it whereas in the horror genre you can get right up into the nitty-gritty details you can get right up into the gore and things that people otherwise might not like to face or otherwise might not like to discuss and it sort of presents you with the challenge. It's not meant to make you feel uncomfortable. That's not our intention. What is our intention is to get across all viewpoints, to tackle this situation from all sides, and then to allow you to make your own decision, which we'll see during the course of the future chapters as well. The final point is we see various references to different horror films. As always, as we're going through chapters, we're always making reference to various different video games, music, films that we watch. And so there's a section where Officer Chaplin and Officer Raymond are having a fight and he turns around and he says, farmland has got to you and you haven't even drunk in the water yet. And Officer Raymond turns around and says, what was that? What did you say? And he says, I, I'm not going to tell you. You just you just hurt me. And this is a direct reference from The Mummy. There's this scene where Brendan Fraser is fighting 
the character of Benny and he sort of keeps on slamming him into various different objects in the environment and he asks him the same question he turns around and he says what did you say and there's a part where Benny turns around he's like I don't want to tell you you just hurt me some more and that sort of stuck with us from the mummy um, because in between all the horror aspects there's still elements of humor there's sort of that breakup of the tension and that found its way into this story but also we've taken aspects from the relic in the sense of the scene where we get the first actual glimpse of the entire creature is toward the end of the film where they're just about to close this huge metal door and it sort of runs toward them and as they close the door it then pounds against the door and you can see this this blood pool emanating from underneath and you can see sort of like almost like paw prints like forcing itself into like an external mold on the door on the inside and then after a while it gives up and and moves away this is reflected in the section where officer raymond goes up toward the abattoir and he sees that there's this gap in the corner he sort of looks through and then there's this silhouette of this really fattened cow and then all of a sudden he sees this close-up of an eye and a face and it sort of stuns him enough that he falls back and hits his head on a rock and knocks himself out. And that's sort of drawing on these these horror aspects from these various different movies. And the one that stuck the most out was from The Relic, and it found itself in this subsequent chapter. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. And welcome to the Tips of the Trade section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where, as it says, we discuss Tips of the Trade. For those of you who are aspiring to be authors, or those of you who are already authors, just looking for that little bit extra. So getting started off, we're going to continue along the horror-based themes, discussing the difference between the immediate introduction of an entity during the course of a horror story, or the gradual introduction of an entity. Now we see this throughout several examples within the genre, just to give you sort of a feel of what I'm discussing. Immediate introductions to the entity would be in the sense of Stephen King's It, both the book and the two subsequent films. There's an immediate introduction to the entity of Pennywise in the sense of the attack on Georgie and the attack on Adrian, both in the book and in the film. The same can be seen in War of the Worlds, not so much in the book, but especially in the film with Tom Cruise, you can see the immediate introduction to not so much the aliens themselves but the tripods it's like within the first half hour of the film the the tripods raise up from the ground and then they start firing off their heat rays and it's exactly the same with jaws as well but not so much the film but the book it's sort of an immediate introduction to what the entity is that then is contrasted with the gradual introduction which we see in examples such as the relic both the book and the film both take their time and it's not until the last 20 minutes of the film that we actually get to see the creature in its entirety. But throughout the course of the film, there's gradual introductions. There's traces of it left. There's bloody footprints. There's savage mutilated bodies left in its wake. There's things that are alluding to this entity. There are stories about it. There are myths created. But it's not exactly as immediate as the prior examples. The same can be seen in Predator. And as we discussed Jaws, but the film, we see that that's more of a gradual introduction. We don't actually see the shark itself until halfway through the film. And this basically touches upon the horror themes that there's no right or wrong way to introduce your entity. Both ways have a desired effect. 
if you wish to introduce your entity immediately, it's because you're trying to set the tone of the story. You're trying to suggest to the reader, this is what this story is about. I'm going to be quite tongue in cheek about it so that you know what you're getting yourself in for. I want you to know how gruesome this story is or how dark the themes might be straight off. I don't want to sort of lead you in and then come the climax, you're not satisfied with the story. But then saying that, if you choose to have a more gradual introduction to the entity within the theme of horror, you can sort of build this tension, build this suspense, build the mythos behind this entity and you can build a satisfying conclusion. And if you do it right, you can build a almost cult classic, like when you think of films such as The Relic, such as Predator. You think, taking The Predator as an example, during the course of the film, the first thing we're introduced to is the bodies that are strung up in some ritualistic practice. Then you're introduced to the vision of the creature, seeing through the eyes of the Predator itself. Then we're introduced to various different ways that it hunts, various different ways it kills, its camouflage. Then there's the first sighting. There's the first description. It's anomalous in its description. And we don't actually get a full view of it until halfway through the film. And it's only for a few seconds. And then it's not until the actual end of the film where the Predator confronts Arnold Schwarzenegger that we actually see him remove his mask and he then takes on Arnold Schwarzenegger in his full native form, if you will. That gradual build-up can also be just as effective as the immediate, because there are obviously advantages in showing your hand early, as opposed to showing your hand late. But obviously, it depends on what you're trying to go for with your story. Do you want your readers or listeners to be shocked? Are you going for shock value? Or are you going for the suspenseful build-up and then presenting your creature in all of its horrific glory to give sort of a satisfying end result? Like I've said before, there's no right or wrong way. It really depends on you as a writer, as an author. It depends on what you're trying to get across. But it's something to bear in mind when you are writing in horror or thriller, just to sort of juggle with these two options. Try them both out. See which one works for you. Whatever works best for you is what you should go for. See which one works out for you. Try your hand at both, as I've said. Try immediate. Try gradual. Whichever one you feel makes the most effect or gets that desired effect, that's the one you should go with. And if you want to try your hand at both because you feel like there's not one or the other that works best for you, they both work well, then continue to do that. And it just allows you to expand the methods and the techniques that you use in your creative writing. It expands you as an author as well because you're willing to try other people's techniques. Certainly do your research, read a couple of books from both examples, see which ones stand out to you, see what they're trying to put across, the different themes from the different authors and how successful they've been in doing that. The same with films. Have a look at a multitude of directors, a multitude of creators that are using those themes from either an immediate introduction or a gradual introduction, see which one works best for you, and then incorporate those elements into your own writing. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. And that's it for episode four. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Really means the world to us that you would take time out of your busy schedule to make us a part of it. As always, we'll endeavour to include the links below to any and all references to information that have been mentioned in the course of the episode. And obviously you can find them in the links or the description of the episode. Right now, as we've been doing through the course of this season, through the course of previous seasons, 
We're just going to take some time to promote a particular project created by a personal friend of mine, Brandon Taylor, known as Taylor's Trades. Now, we've mentioned this in previous episodes, that what it's basically about is it offers a middleman service, sort of like a courier service, so that you can buy, sell and trade items safely within England and the UK. Brandon has over a thousand references, the majority of which are positive reviews, and he operates from Southampton all across the country, all across England and the UK. And this is done to promote a sense of community, as well as supporting Brandon in his own entrepreneurial endeavour. He's delivered over £400,000 worth of goods already, and as I've mentioned before, received a 1,000 references, the majority of which are positive reviews. So if that's something you're interested in, be sure to head on over to the links that we'll have below to his Facebook, Instagram and Twitter page. And if you'd like to buy, sell or trade any particular goods and you'd like for Brandon to be the middleman courier service so that you don't have to pay postage and packing and you can trust it with Brandon and his personal service, then you can head on over there and I'm sure he'd be glad to hear from you. Okay, once again, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. I know I sound like a broken record when I say it means the world to us, but it really does. Honestly, I can't put into words how humbling it is. I know how busy people are. I know how your days can be filled with so many more important things. There are so many better podcasts out there that you could be listening to, and you choose to listen to ours, and that's really humbling. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for tuning in every day or every week, every month even. Honestly, it really means the world to us. As always, have a fantastic day. Have an amazing week. And anything that you set your mind to doing, know that you are more than good enough to accomplish it. No matter where you're from, who you are, you're more than enough. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you next time.